chapter 3 by now. And uh, I'm going to ask you to follow along as I read. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter. I don't usually do that. Uh, certainly don't try to preach through 21 verses in one service. There's a volume of material here. I'm not going to be able to do justice to, but I'm going to try. One service, 21 verses. Let's see what happens. You better get going, all right? You got your ears on. You're ready to listen and hear what God has to say for you today. Uh, let's look at the Bible. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof? I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory." For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. I may tell you, amen, which means so be it. It's not just the end of a prayer. It's not over and out, okay? Very important word in Scripture because it's giving reference to the fact of what's, what's already been said. Amen, so be it. We are thankful for this wonderful truth, and it's my prayer that you will be touched by the wonderful truth that we find here in chapter 3 this morning. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we need your help. We need your understanding. We need you to open our eyes to behold the wonderful truth in your law. And uh, dear God, I pray that you would just stir our hearts today with this, your word. Help us to understand it clearly. Help me to, to share it in a persuasive, powerful way, in the way that you would have me to share it. And I pray that your spirit would then take the truth of your word and drive it home to our hearts that we might have and grasp the wonderful truth that is found in Ephesians chapter 3. And I will thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us today. I pray these things in the name of my wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A preacher told this story. He said it was on March 27, 1808, that a grand performance of the creation took place in Vienna. It wasn't the creation. It was an oratorio that was written, the creation. The composer of that oratorio was uh, Franz Joseph Hayden. He was now 76 years of age. He was in a wheelchair, but he was in attendance that day when the oratorio was done. Wow. Okay, now that I have your attention. I don't know what I did. Okay, are we all right? Yeah. Do I need to start again? 
I don't know what was going on. Wow. Okay, we got some nice feedback here today. Always get feedback. But it's always from the guy in the corner over there. I don't know what it was. All right. All right, well, let me tell you the story, a little bit about the story again. It was an oratorio called The Creation. And Hayden had been the, the one who had written it. And his presence really aroused an intense enthusiasm from the audience about this oratorio. They were excited. Um, and from the very start, the response to this, uh, this whole thing was moving. Uh, as it went along, you could just tell everyone was into the, the, the program, if you would. Everyone was there. Everyone was on, if you would, the edge of their seat. And, um, and as the performance went on, the chorus and orchestra burst with full power into the passage and the song where it goes, and there was light. The crowd was so moved by the power and the passage and everything that was being done by, in song that they stood and they began to applaud and cheer the, uh, in the direction of, of Hayden. And, uh, and he, as he saw what was going on and as he observed what was taking place in, in his feeble state, he struggled to raise himself to his feet. He lifted his hand to silence the audience. And with all his strength, he cried out as loudly as he was able, No, no, not from me, but from thence, from heaven above, comes all. And with that, he fell back in his chair, and he was so faint then and exhausted, he had to be taken out. But he wanted people to understand it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his accomplishment. It wasn't about his writing. It wasn't about his beautiful work. It wasn't about his great ability to put music together. It was all about God. And that was the message that he wanted to get across. And that's what he wanted people to understand. And in concluding that story, the preacher who told it said this, We were created to praise God. It should be our aim every day to glorify him through our thoughts, through our actions, through our words, amounting to a life that is ultimately not about us, but all about Christ. Hayden understood this well. He carried it out wonderfully during his life and during that last opportunity he had to stand and say, it's not about me, it's about him. He knew the reason, the preacher said, he was able to create such masterpieces. It was that God had blessed him with a gift, and he spent his time using that gift to bring glory to God. And this morning I ask you the question, are you doing the same? Because that is what God intends in all of life. When I originally started preparing Ephesians chapter 3, I thought we'd just walk through the chapter and we would just give you some and they're important things and we'll make mention of them later it's one of the other points I want you though to see what happened to Paul because as he is sharing this truth and as he's going through this truth he is gripped with the wonderful truth that there is a God in heaven that has done everything for us and we are to live to his glory and he ends the chapter saying Amen and if you miss that then you miss what happened to Paul as he was sharing this truth he wasn't a professor in class saying, okay, people, I want you to know about the mystery. The mystery in Jesus Christ, how Gentiles were brought into the family. He wasn't talking about this as some boring professor that was trying to put everyone to sleep and hoping no one would get their stuff so they failed their final exam. He wasn't a professor. No, that doesn't happen. At least I hope not with professors. You know, I hope they want you to get it. 
He wasn't someone that was trying to bore people with a lot of interesting information. He was trying to share with people, and he was touched with the wonderful truth that he shared in this chapter. And it came, comes to the conclusion, and he says, hey, I want you to know, people, what it's all about. And that's what the last verse is of, of chapter 3. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And if you can't get excited about that, there's something wrong with you. And that is the truth he wants to get across. Three points I want, want to make by looking at this entire chapter. And the first one is verse 21, our purpose. Because if you don't understand this, if you don't come to the conclusion, you don't grasp what is being taught in verse 21, then you really will wade through chapter 3 and say, wow, that's interesting, good. I'm glad that's over with. But in reality, Paul didn't say, I'm glad that's over with. He said, I'm glad I had the opportunity to think about that today. And like Hayden, he's kind of standing before us today, and he's pointing his finger upward, and he's saying, to him be all glory. It's not about me. No, no, it's not me. It's him. It is him. And it is he that you are supposed to worship, and he who you are supposed to serve, and he whom you are supposed to give your glory and all the glory you ever have to him. And if you don't understand that truth, then you really will not appreciate chapter 3. Because chapter 3 is a culmination, actually, of the entire book of Ephesians. And it's telling us that we have a purpose. So we see, first, under this purpose, the rousing conclusion of Paul. He comes to the end, and he ends that with that amen, saying, So be it! so caught up with admiration and awe that God would allow Gentiles to be part of the family of God. And he was writing to Gentiles at the church at Ephesus. And he's sharing with them that now God has placed you in, in his family, just like the Jews enjoyed a relationship with God the Father, and no one else enjoyed it in the Old Testament, pretty much. It was just for the Jews. But now God has opened this up, and my, what a response we need to have to that as we think, we are here to the praise of his glory because it's not about what we've done. And the conclusion reminds us that this is going to make for great preaching each and every day. Exciting preaching. You say, why? Well, it's, look at verse 21 again. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Hey, listen, as long as the world is, as long as there are more generations, each generation will be able to preach Ephesians 3.21 and say, to him be glory through Jesus Christ. Because the plan of salvation is the same as it was through the church at Ephesus. And it's the same that it's been since the start of the church that Jesus bought with his blood. And the message is, Jesus Christ has done everything. He's provided salvation. And he says, now you are to live to his glory. And every age, and every pastor, and every church, and every group of people that gather together can preach the same message, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who provided the plan of salvation that no one deserved and could ever earn and could ever win by themselves. That is the message of this chapter. That is the thing that comes to the culmination, to the end, to the rousing chorus, if you would, unto him be glory, the rousing conclusion of Paul throughout all ages, world without end. I've got a message. I've got something to shout about. Preaching material for everyone. Jesus Christ is the one who provided salvation so that all people, Jews and Gentiles, black and white, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter anything about you, except for this fact, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And anyone who will put their faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ can be part of his family. To him be glory, because there's not anything we've done. And so many times you hear people talking today, and I know we have, we've emphasized it a lot as we've been in the book of, of, of Ephesians. But there's a lot of churches that tell you today, well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to be baptized, and you got to do these kind of things, you got to do good works, and, and then you have to have this in your life, and you have to li be living this way. And salvation has nothing to do with you. Salvation has nothing to do with your work. You can't earn it. So it's no wonder when Paul describes all of what he has in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3 he starts talking about this wonderful mystery, how God allowed Gentiles and all nations and all people to become one 
family in the church. And, and it's no wonder he comes to that conclusion, man, this is great preaching. And for every age, he says, I'm not the only one that's going to be able to preach this and say amen. Some guy 2,000 years from today who lives in Tennessee is going to be able to stand before God's people and say, Amen! Because God has provided the same salvation for me that he provided for the church at the beginning. And it will be the same message as long as life on this earth continues. Isn't that a great message to think about and share today? And listen, there's a reason, though, for this message. And there's a reason for the conclusion Paul had. Wow, God is a great God. Amen! Because he wants us to understand as well that he's the one who deserves glory. It's not about us. So it's not just a rousing conclusion, but it's a rousing call in verse 21. There's a rousing call to you and to me. And what arouses his admiration and awe is our purpose. Look, if you would, again at that verse. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it's really true. Anyone who gets saved is bringing glory to God in a sense because their understanding, or at least they come to the understanding, Christ did it all for me. I can't earn my way to heaven. I can't win my way to heaven. I am a sinner deserving God's judgment. I am headed for a place called hell, a Christless eternity. Christ died for my sins. And when someone gets saved, they are ultimately bringing glory to God because they're saying, your son provided everything. And when someone church are you if you receive jesus christ as savior you are part of the church that's the message of this chapter you've become part of this church that jesus bought with his blood and now we should live to the glory of god that's what we're here for that's the rousing call to you um he says that we're supposed to bring glory to him i I love the word for glory in the Greek. I, I, am not, I am not a Greek scholar. I can guarantee you that. I'm thankful that I have a computer that can share with me, you know, the different definitions and everything else. But there's one word at least I remember from, from my college days, and I love it because it just sounds so great. The word for glory is doxa. Isn't that great? I just love it. I love the way it sounds. Doxa. You know, it's one of those things that I, I can really get into. Maybe that's why I remembered that one word from my Greek class. Don't ask my professor how I did in my classes either, you know, as far as Greek was concerned. It's, as my mother used to say, it's Greek to me. That's what I would always say about everything when it came to that class. But the word for glory is doxa, and it's one of the few Greek words that I remember. It, it means glory. And, and it is to God the Father here that glory is to be given. You say, well, what does that mean? The word glory means to think or to make someone glorious. So the idea of verse 21 is that it's unto him, unto God the Father, that glory belongs through or in the church. So that my life, my purpose, once I get saved, the moment I get saved, and for the rest of my days, my purpose is Big money. 
receiving glory from your life, then listen, you are not fulfilling your purpose in the church. That, my friends, is the rousing call that Paul gives to us today. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We forget. I, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever walked into a room and forgot why you went to the room in the first place? Now, you, you might say, you know, Pastor, you're getting older, and those things happen to older people. I understand that completely, but it's happened throughout my entire life. <laughs> so, you know, I've been old for a long time. But I would go into a room, you know, I forget why I'm there. And, uh, and, then, and then it's like it dawns on me, and, and there have been times. In fact, there was one not recently that it was like, okay, I know I came in here for something. What did I come in here for? What did I come in here for? And I just forgotten. Okay, you're not laughing at me, but you know you've had those experiences. You know, and, and it's really bad if you drove somewhere. Then you wonder what that's <laughs> I mean, that, that's really bad. But, but the fact of the matter is, is there are times where we forget where we're going, what we're doing, and everything else. And here's the truth. A lot of Christians have forgotten. A lot of Christians are in, in the room of the church. part of the church comes by faith in Jesus Christ, place, being placed in the family of God. And the rousing call of this chapter and the conclusion he comes to, he's just so caught up with things. That's, that's why he just cries out, amen, because that's what I'm here for. And I don't think Paul had forgotten that at all. But he wanted the believers to remember that truth. And my friends, we can study out the depth of Ephesians 3. We could spend weeks studying this chapter because there are some deep truths. Seriously, there's some wonderful meat to dig out of, of, of Ephesians chapter 3. But if you miss verse 21, then you miss the most important thing, I think, in this entire chapter. And that is, God has called you to glorify him. And I want to ask you, to ask God to help you not to forget that this week. Not to walk through the room of life and say, what am I here for? What am I doing today? Go through life saying, I've got a purpose. And let me also tell you something. There's a rousing challenge for me. There is. You say, what's the rousing challenge? Everything about Paul was bringing glory to God in the church. And you know what that meant? That meant, and that's what this chapter is about. Paul invested in these people. So I'm preaching to myself this morning. I already preached to myself throughout the week, but I get to preach to myself this morning as well. Because as we come to this conclusion, as it gripped my heart, I was struck with the message that, quite honestly, I, I hadn't seen. It dawned on me that everything Paul did was for this purpose, to glorify God. So you know why he was willing to suffer persecution and tribulation? Verse 13. Do you know why that Paul invested his life in helping Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ? Verses 1 to 12. Do you know why Paul spent time on his knees praying and praying and praying that God would work and God would meet the needs of these believers? Also that they in the church would glorify God. His ministry, his life, his focus was all about that. You say, man, I'm glad you're preaching to someone other than me. But here's the truth. Anyone who is a leader should have that same focus and should have that same goal. So that means this. It's not just this preacher who needs to be challenged by verse 21 to help people come to the place where they live for the glory of God, but it's every dad in this room. And it's every mother in this room who has been given the responsibility to train up children in the way they should go. It's every teacher in this room as well. That's right. Everyone who has 
has influence over people and everyone who has an opportunity to teach and influence. In fact, it includes grandparents and great-grandparents this morning. Because everyone who has the opportunity to influence life should be focused on if they're part of the church and someone they're investing in is part of the church is helping that person bring glory to God because that's what life is all about. And I asked myself this the question this week, man, and it has been challenging. The question I've been asking myself is, am I really as committed as Paul? Am I really as driven as Paul? I think dad should be asking that question this morning. Am I really driven to train my children in the way that they should go so that they might bring glory to God because that's their purpose in life? And am I doing everything that I possibly can? When I look at this chapter, when I read through all these things, I think, man, look at a guy that was committed. And look at a guy that gave of his life and gave everything that he had. And this passage calls upon all leaders to evaluate their lives and ask the question, we exist for the purpose of equipping people to glorify God if we have influence over folks. Are we using the energy we have to do that? Let me tell you, it's, it's easy to, in life to get so focused on, I've got this to get cared for, I've got this to get cared for, I've got this to do, I've got this ministry, I've got this work, I've got these things to, I've got these doctor's appointments, I've got this, I've got that, that we just forget that we're not here for ourselves. We're here to bring glory to God. And if it's not our working in our own lives, ourselves seeking to live life to the glory of God. It's investing in others so that they might live life to the glory of God. Because that is what Ephesians chapter 3 is about. Now, if you fall asleep in the rest of the chapter, go ahead and fall asleep. But don't miss that message of your purpose. Now, I really don't want you to fall asleep in the rest of the chapter. But Paul does dig into some different things, and he does share some real depth here in, the, in these verses. He basically shares two things that we're going to quickly see. I'm, I really am seeking not to put you to sleep. I don't want you to do that. But I didn't want you to miss verse 21. And I felt that if we walk through the first 20 verses and just kind of walk through those verses, that you would miss that message. And, and in some ways, I almost feel like I should end the message now, but I'm not going to. Sorry, just not going to happen. So that's our purpose. You got it? Can I, can I move on? Okay, now, for those of you that are tired and are going to tune out, all right, so be it. Amen! All right. So let me share with you number two, Paul's proclamation. If you look through this chapter, you're going to find he makes this statement for this cause. You see that? Right at the start of the chapter, he says, for this cause. In verse 14, he says, for this cause. And those things kind of drive what he's going to share and what he's going to talk about. And they, in essence, point to what comes previously. So if you're going to understand chapter 3, sadly, you got to understand chapter, not sadly, goodly. <laughs> you got to understand chapter 2. you got to at least kind of grasp what's taking place. So what has been happening in chapter 2? Well, what he's been sharing is that Jews and Gentiles, if you haven't heard it yet, you've been listening, I know. All right, Jews and Gentiles have been made part of one family, which is called the church. In fact, the last couple of verses of chapter 2 reveal that very important fact, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So look, you are God's building. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ by faith are part of God's building. You're a block. You're a, you're a brick. You're, you're just a blockhead, okay? In the building of God. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Okay? Don't y'all nod that I am. You are too if you're part of the church. All right, so we're all part of this, this wonderful building that God has made. And he says, look, for this cause, I do the things that I do. It's because God has done this wonderful thing. He's given me a ministry. So his motivation was God's done a wonderful work 
that he's built called the church. It's an amazing church. It's a precious church. It is a wonderful church. It's a church which he bought with his blood and which he wants to, to serve him and to bring glory to his name. And that is the focus that, that God has for his children. And so Paul's motivation was, that's what I want to do. And that's what God has called me to do. And that's what God wants me to focus on. And so he says, look, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles is an amazing thing uh, because he, he shares about not just his motivation, but then he talks about himself. And he says, you know what? I'm a wonderful guy. I'm important. I'm an apostle. God has called me. Do you see that? You know, you know what he says? What do you think, Senator? Ooh, you can't talk about that today. You don't want to pay reparations for that. led me to give my life and pour it into these people. Now, I know it's a political nightmare to talk about, about um, you know, slavery today, and, and it seems like it's, it's something that just touches off uh, some real uh, strong opinions on both sides, but Paul saw himself as one, and he lived life like it. He didn't view his life as his own, and I think that challenges us because when he says he lived life to the glory of God, it meant this. He needed to be a slave of God, of Jesus Christ, and God is a great master. God only does what's best for his own. God only asks his slaves, his servants, to do what is best for them and ultimately best for the cause and that which will glorify him. And so Paul lived life with this attitude saying, I'm just a slave serving Jesus Christ, and I'll do whatever I need to do for the glory of God. Now, that isn't suggesting that slavery is okay. It's not dealing with the issue this morning that is being dealt with as far as our government is concerned. It ultimately is saying this, though, that we all serve someone, and if we're going to be a Christian that pleases God, we need to have the attitude that says this, I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to be his slave. And being in that place, my friends, is actually a place of true freedom. It is. Because if Christ hath made you free, ye are free indeed. And that's what he does to those who are slaves of his. And so Paul talks about the man. Then he shares his ministry. His ministry, we read in verse 2, was to the Gentile world. It was to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. It's an interesting thing. He says, God has been so gracious to me. God has empowered me. God has enabled me. He's given me the privilege of, of going to prison, of suffering, of going through tribulation, all for you people. and the grace of God and the truth of God. I can preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a treasure that is. Verses 7 to 9, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. God, by his power, chose me, and I didn't deserve it. I'm the least of all the saints, verse 8 says. And, and this grace has been given to me that I should be able to preach what a privilege the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. By the way, every Christian has that wonderful privilege. And we can share with others the wonderful riches of faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what some people, most Christians, look, not most, you know what some Christians look at witnessing as? Oh, you kidding me? I got to do that? And Paul looked at it and said, woohoo, yeah. What a privilege I have. I get to tell people how they can be saved. And God will save them if they'll call on him. 
So Paul's given this testimony about his view of life, and it's convicting, isn't it? As you see his commitment to Jesus Christ. It's not, I can't be a witness. It's not, oh, are you kidding me? I could never talk to someone about Christ. Oh, man, do I have to be a witness? Preacher always preaches on that, and I have to raise my hand because I'm not doing it well like I should. to share with someone about faith in Jesus Christ. And may that, may that be our attitude. So Paul is, by the way, Paul was talking about being a slave, and he wasn't looking for sympathy. He was just trying to drive, the home, drive home the idea, Christ bought me with his blood, and I want to live wholly, completely for him and do his bidding in every way, shape, and form. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. So what was his ministry? His ministry was to the Gentile world, to preach the riches of, of Christ, to preach the mystery. What was the mystery? Well, Paul talks about that. And, and again, this would take hours. And, and it would be a very impressive message from someone who has really spent years studying Ephesians chapter 3 to talk about this mystery. But here's the mystery in a nutshell. Gentiles can get saved. There was a mystery. And you say, well, well why was it mystery? This is an amazing thing. God knew about it. You know when God knew about it? Tell me, when did God know about it? I gotta make sure. Yeah, always. Okay? Before anything was ever created in this world, before anything that you see was here, before anything was ever made, God already knew that this is what was gonna happen. That there were gonna be Gentiles and there were gonna be Jews. That's amazing in itself. There were no people. There are gonna be Gentiles and Jews someday. And Jews, I'm going to have a relationship with. But Gentiles are going to be pretty much out of the fold. Amen? And then, uh, somewhere somewhere in the middle of the whole thing, whole shebang, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to come and he's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to be buried and he's going to rise again. He's going to offer salvation to all who will take his name and name. God knew that from the very beginning. And you know what the mystery to it? It was a mystery to every Jew. If you ask the Jew of the Old Testament, start of the church, they were all bent out of shape when Peter went and shared the gospel with a Gentile named Cornelius. So much so that Peter had to take some people with him because God told him to do this, and Cornelius comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and you know what the Jews finally read? Wow, this must be part of God's plan. And that was the first time it dawned on a lot of people, a lot of Jews, that this could ever happen. So what an amazing truth that that what was a mystery in the Old Testament, what was a mystery through thousands of years of history, God knew about before the world began, and he had designed and planned it all out that, that Gentiles would become part of the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that was the wonderful mystery, he said, I had the privilege of preaching. And he said, the Holy Spirit of God has, has given understanding to, verse 5, in other ages it wasn't made known unto the sons of men, but it's revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God that Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Look, I am an heir of God because of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the wonderful ministry he had. And do you know what happened because of that? Verse 13. Oh, he's already got to verse 13. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not on my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So I'm suffering. For me, oh, I, I put the word misery. That really, alliteration doesn't always fit me. Because Paul wasn't miserable. In fact, he says, don't be upset. Don't be bothered. Don't be controlled by this. In fact, I think you would be. If, let me, let me tell you, if you asked me, Doug, I was a pastor today at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. I was under the threat of imprisonment, of imprisonment, or if I had just spent some time in prison and I just got out and I had been beaten and everything else, okay, you folks might be a little bit concerned about trying to work this out, don't you think? You might be so bothered that you wouldn't want to really live for Jesus Christ. You know what his message was? Hey, in jail. Okay, what? 
All right, so I suffered a little bit. So they laughed at me at work because I said I was a Christian. I refused to do something I shouldn't do. Big deal. I'm going to serve God anyway. If it's going to glorify God, I am more than willing to face whatever God wants me to face. And so that was Paul. That was his ministry. That was his focus. And that was his proclamation. Hey, listen, God's given me a wonderful ministry. I am privileged to do that. And I want you to know it's, it's preaching the mystery of how Gentiles can come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then we see as the chapter comes to the second point in verse 14, Paul's prayer. You say in verse 14, for this cause, you see that again. Okay, so what is he pointing back to? Some say it's pointing back to Ephesians chapter 2, to the things that are written earlier. That's possible. But it seems more likely that he's pointing to verse, um, verse 13, and he's saying, hey, I know I've suffered for my faith, and because I've suffered for my faith, you are, might be discouraged from living for the, the Christian life as you ought. Because, hey, if someone else is suffering for their faith, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily encourage others, you know? Yeah, Paul gets out of prison, and he's got these, you know, red stripes, race, racing stripes across his back, and they aren't pleasant. They're very painful. And, you know, Christians might be saying, I don't want that. Don't want to go there. Don't want to spend time in that Motel 6, you know? I don't want to face those kind of things. And so, you know what it did? Paul got on his knees, Paul's prayer. So we have our purpose, we have Paul's proclamation, and then we have Paul's prayer. His prayer was a response. It was a response to the thing, things that, hey, these people might be discouraged from living for God. And so you know what it causes, caused him to do? To get on his knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's not a bad thing to love and care about people. You know that? It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing when you try to consider and do what you can to meet the needs of someone who's suffering. I'll tell you what, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful blessing, isn't it, when someone in our church has a need and we have so many people volunteering to make, to make meals that we gotta kinda line them up. It's, it's a wonderful thing when folks are willing to, to take their car and go drive someone to a doctor or do whatever is necessary or, or come and, and mow someone's lawn or, or clean their house or do whatever is necessary just to be a blessing to someone who's suffering. It's always a great thing when you see a neighbor struggling to be able to offer help and to do whatever you can and to be an aid. It's good to care for people. But can I tell you something? One of the greatest things you can do for a person is get on your knees and pray for them. And the truth is, sometimes when you can do nothing else, prayer is far better than anything you could do. And that's what Paul did here. And, and here's another question. Have you been so moved that when you hear about someone's needs, you actually do get on your knees and pray about it? Does that challenge anyone? You know, sometimes, I, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then it's like, oh, they had their surgery. You know, I'm having surgery next week. I'll pray for you. And then, and then, oh, they had their surgery. Oh, Lord, help them as they recover. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about it, but do we really have a concern and care about people enough to respond when we see a need to say, you know what, I'm going to get on my knees and battle in prayer because Here's the truth. Sometimes the only battle you can do is on your knees. Um, you had opportunity to pray for Brother Farrington this week, and many of you did. I know that. And that's a wonderful opportunity. The, the truth is there's nothing we can do to help him get better, but we can pray. We can. 
Uh, you know, I can't take away the pain, but, but God can. And he can bring healing. And God wants us as a people to be concerned like Paul was. Where, hey, here's a need. Let's pray. Let's pray fervently. The Vanderhoofs have a need. You going to be praying this week? The Perros have a need. You going to be praying this week? Other people in our church have needs. You going to be praying? That is what Paul said in verse 14. For this cause, because I'm concerned about you and because I see that you have a need and here is the need, I get on my knees and I pray to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Here's the reality he shares in verse 15. Two wonderful truths which encourage Paul to pray to the Father. Uh, actually, I'm going to mention three. The first would be this. Believers can come to God the Father directly. That's what he says in this passage. He's saying, I, I go to the Father and I talk to him. He didn't go to a priest and say, hey, what, what do I need to do? How many rosaries do I need to say now for my friend who's hurting? He went directly to the father and he says, hey, father, these people have a need. They're concerned because I've been suffering and I'm okay with it, Lord, but they need your help. And God, they need to respond right to this. And so I'm coming and I'm making my need note. So he knew that he could go to the father. But in this passage, Here's, here's two reasons why. He says, first, that we're all part of this family by faith in Jesus Christ. Look, he says, I, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of whom? It's of Christ. The whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're going to write or explain the whole family of God. It means all of his children. The idea is that we all bear the same name. We're der derived from the Redeemer. We're all Christians if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. He says, look, that was all done by Jesus Christ, and it's, it's because of him. And so I have the privilege now of coming to the Father because God has made me and everyone else who's put their trust in Christ part of his wonderful family. And that give Paul, gives uh, Paul boldness in prayer to come and make requests. The second aspect urges us to pray because he is the God of glory. He says this, uh, of whom, uh, sorry, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, because he is a glorious God, because he's a big God, because he's a great God. It could be pointing to the ability of God the Father. He's a glorious God, but it also can be indicating that he's a gracious and merciful God who's ready to heal. So pray, bring your requests to him. Look at the request, though, verses 16 to 19. Here, see, this is the part. There's so much here. Note the depth and the beauty of Paul's prayer, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. There's two things that you need when you're hurting. You say, what are those? I need my problem to be removed. That is not how he prayed. Well, I need God to take it away. I need God to make it less. I need God to, to bring healing. I need God to do this. I need God to do that. And you know, that's how we often pray. Paul didn't pray once for the tribulation to be removed from these people. You don't see it. You know what he prayed for? What did he pray for? Come on. Two things we need. Strength. You know what the second thing we need? We need God to help strengthen our people. And those two things he prayed for. What a great way to pray for people. God, that your people might be strengthened. Not outward strength so that we have supernatural ability to handle this. No, that we might be strengthened in the inner man because that's where the battle really is. You know where most of our battles are? It's in our head. The battle of living for God is in the head. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. And so he prays and he asks God in his request that God, that you would strengthen, not just physically strengthen these people to do what they ought, but strengthen them inwardly by the spirit of God who dwells within to empower them to do what's right. What a great way to pray. And that's a great way to be praying for someone who just recently had surgery, that God would strengthen in the inner man, that he might bear up under this situation and handle it right, and that when you, in your time, bring healing, he might rejoice. But God, until that time, that you would just give him strength for today. And then 
I love it. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. It's talking about knowing God's love and, and God's love. Shoot here. 